This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to John's Gospel, chapter 14. Now let's get to work. We get into our annual Bible prophecy sermon series. And again, I'm going to give you several passages of Scripture that you do not have on your bulletin for today. You will need a pen, you will need something to write on, and you will need to make additions to the bulletin this morning as we go through what I believe to be one of the most incredible passages in all of the Bible dealing with end times. And it deals with the next prophetic event that's going to take place on God's calendar, that being the rapture. I will tell you that the stage is set Everything is in place. No prophecy is left to be fulfilled before the Lord returns in the air. Having said all of that, in John chapter 14, and I've used this passage of Scripture several times this week already in services, and it is the foundation, it's the cornerstone, or the place of beginning where we begin the series this year. It is a passage of Scripture that you are well familiar with, and most of you can quote this just as easily as you can quote John 3.16. If you're not familiar with John 14, I encourage you to uh, study it and to show yourself approved and to get into the Word and to learn these Scriptures. Spoken by Jesus Himself, He says, Let not your heart be troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, it's important, I believe, for you to understand that there are over 300 prophecies, both in, in, containing in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that declare and prophesy, talk about the return of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord. And that's very, very important. So this morning, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to begin with two important testimonials. Now, with over 300, you can imagine how selective it has been to just give you two, but I think they are the two of the most important. And so, and, and I don't say that to minimize any other passage of the Word of God. It's all profitable. But out of 300 and the lack of time, I will give you two of what I believe to be two of the best prominent testimonials of the Savior's return in the Scripture. So I want to look at these two testimonials. I want you to notice these words in this particular passage. The first testimonial about Jesus returning is from Jesus himself. And notice these four words. He said, I will come again. And by the way, Jesus echoed 
those particular words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 34. And we use this passage of scripture oftentimes when we have communion. And the scripture says, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And then notice this, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Do you get this? Do you see it? And there are many other places in the word. Now, I want you to hold on to this truth because when we read of the testimonial of Jesus in John 14 and how Paul reassures us and echoes that promise in this particular passage, the truth is this, that God has stamped his integrity on these words because God in the form of flesh through Jesus has spoken it himself. God has declared it. And the important thing to understand is this. Jesus did not say, if I come. He didn't say that I might come. He didn't say that it would be to your advantage if I come. He said, I will come again. And he clarified it here. He said, I'm going to do some other things when I come. And the truth of the matter is, According to these words that Jesus spoke, we hold God accountable. His integrity is at stake because in Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2, the word says that it is impossible for God to lie. So the word says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And so if God ever lied... He could not be God. So the thing this morning is this. Don't ever think that God, though he is the ancient of days, that he is ever going to run out of steam or he is ever going to run out of integrity or he will ever get to the place where he is so old that he cannot perform and keep his promises that he has made. The scriptures declare that the word of God is settled in heaven forever. Now, Psalms 41, verse number 13 says this, Blessed be the Lord of God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The word amen means so be it. So the word declares God to be everlasting to everlasting. What he has promised is going to be and settled from the beginning to the end, from everlasting to everlasting. God and his word is here to stay forever. Understand this. Now, I want you to notice another testimonial, another verse. And this deals with the ascension of Jesus. Forty days after the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says he went into Jerusalem and he was seen among many. And 40 days... He began to talk, he began to teach, he began to preach. People began to look at his nail-scarred hands. Forty days after that, he assembled all of his disciples together to the Mount of Olives. And there he gave what has been declared and decreed in the Word of God as the Great Commission. You know what that is. 
Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and whatsoever things I have commanded you. He said, do always. He said, unto the end. Amen and amen. The other testimonial is this. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, the first one comes from the Lord Jesus. The second one comes from his holy angels. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 11, the Bible says, and the angel of the Lord is speaking, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And so in these two passages of Scripture, John chapter 14 and Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11, we have two personal testimonies about the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. Jesus and his angels. Out of 300 other prophecies, these, I believe, are two of the most blessed ones and the ones that we can become more familiar with. And I can assure you of this. Listen carefully. Concerning the rapture, the rapture is not something that you're going to want to read about in the day after's newspaper. I assure you of that. You do not want to wake up the morning after the rapture and grab the Richmond Times Dispatch and read the headlines, the rapture has occurred. If you do that, you are in big trouble. Understand this. Now turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24. And this brings us to our second point this morning. And that is this, that Jesus explains the spiritual condition of the world before he returns. In Matthew chapter 24, I want you to patiently follow along with me. It's important that I read these scriptures. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See, ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying that I am Christ. I did a survey. I took some time to research in modern times how many people on this earth actually claim to be Jesus Christ. You would be amazed that at the time of that research, over 300 people on the globe claim to be Jesus Christ. Christ. 
For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. So in this passage, Jesus himself is giving a chilling warning of what the world is going to be like before he returns. He is speaking of what the Bible calls a great falling away. And the Apostle Paul also spoke of this great falling away in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They're going to also get this scripture up, but I think it would do you good to find the place in the scripture as well. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to read for you verses 1 through 3, and here is where I'm going to give you some additional verses that do not appear in your bulletin for today. But they are good scriptures for you to know, so I would encourage you to write them down. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, again, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Now, I want you to understand, and I will read verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, let me clarify something about the day of Christ. The day of Christ is the rapture. And I want to give you two additional scriptures that are actually three that will help you understand this. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If we move to verse number 10 in that passage, the word says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
Listen carefully. The day of Christ is the rapture. It is different than the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has to deal with the revelation of Jesus Christ. The day of Christ deals with the rapture. The day of the Lord deals with the revelation. For example, let me give you Joel chapter 2 and verse number 11. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse number 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. And then in Malachi chapter 4 and verse number 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah. We will talk about this in the sermon, the 144,000, because it mentions, it talks about two witnesses. This is clear as day as to who one of those witnesses will be. And it is Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So there is a difference between the day of Christ, which is the rapture, and the day of the Lord that deals with the revelation. But when you go back to 2 Thessalonians in verse 3, the scripture says that right before Jesus returns, there's going to be a great falling away. And that means the world and society, by the way, who is against the Word of God. Don't be fooled by anyone or anything. This world is not for God. This world is not for Jesus. This world is not for the church. They are against the Word of God, and we are being infiltrated and assaulted by that mentality day by day. The Bible is being declared all across the world as hate speech all over the world. I'm talking about millions of people all over the world. The Bible is looked at as being worthless, that it no longer matters, that it is a hoax, that it is a lie. And while we sit here in this church today, people are vigorously trying to rewrite a Bible that is politically correct that will appease everyone. And going back to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself said that right before the rapture, there would be a great falling away. And that's talking about global apostasy would be everywhere. As he went on to say in his end time message, that apostasy, and this ought to perk every Believer in this auditorium up, those of you that are watching by internet, do not miss this. Jesus said that apostasy, the great falling away, would not only inhabit 
a global mentality, but he said, and he meant that it was also going to infiltrate the church. Now you say, how can that be, preacher? Here's something that I want you to remember. You can never fall away from something until you have first been close to something. That's how you fall away. A position that was once here and steady and solid and firm. Because of political correctness and social acceptance, the church has moved from something that has been true and solid and real and correct to something that is over here, from something that has been correct to personally and politically incorrect, you can only get here by falling away from here. So you can never fall away from something unless you have been first close to something. And that's very, very important. Look with me in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to read for you quickly verses 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, if you're not familiar with this terminology, in the scriptures, the bride is the church. The bride is the body of believers. Revelation talks about that. The bridegroom is Jesus himself. He's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Now, according to that, we now have an illustration that is likened unto the bridegroom and the bride. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. I believe this is where the song originated, the midnight cry. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go, ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready, are you rapture ready? And they that were ready, notice this, went in with him to the marriage. Oh, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb one day. And the door was shut. 
When God opens a door, no man can shut it. When he shuts a door, no man can open it. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things? Cast out devils, preached these sermons, done these deeds. And he will say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Watch therefore, verse 13, for ye know Neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, I want you to keep in mind here something very important. Jesus never said that we would not know the season or the signs before he returned. What he said was that we would not know the day nor the hour when he was going to return. But there's something interesting here in this parable of the ten virgins and how it pertains and reveals the spiritual condition of this earth before he returns. In this parable, listen carefully, again, the bridegroom is Jesus. The ten virgins represent the church. Get this straight. Even make a notation on your bulletin or it represents the religious community. And the only real church, listen carefully, the only real church is what the Bible calls and refers to as the ecclesia. I know that's a seminary word. You learn that in seminary 101, but it's an important word because the word ecclesia means a called out assembly. And it's talking about the church, those who have been born again, washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a church today that is not where it needs to be, a church today that has fallen away from the correct aspect of the gospel and the sincerity of the word, Jesus said this, When he comes, only half of the professors are going to be possessors. Now get this. Only half of the professors who are actually the possessors will be ready. He is saying this in this parable that out of the ten that the scripture speaks about, he said, Five were ready and five were not. He said five were wise and five were foolish. He is saying that only half of their lamps were trimmed and burning. Five were trimmed and burning, five were not. Now I'm going to share something with you this morning that is not comfortable for a lot of people to hear. And I mentioned this both Friday and yesterday's funeral services. It's not politically correct, but guess what? I'm not a politically correct preacher. And this is not a politically correct church. And so it may be a little uncomfortable for you to navigate through, a little uncomfortable for you to hear, you to hear this morning and you to hear over the internet. 
But I'll tell you what, a good pastor will not tell you stuff that you want to hear. A good pastor will not tickle your ears, but he will tell you things that you need to hear. And there's a big difference than hearing things you want to hear or telling you things that you need to hear. Let me tell you something about these five foolish virgins in this parable because they represent the religious community who calls themselves the church who are really not born-again people. It used to be said to walk the walk and talk the talk but we're living in the time that the religious community do not even talk the talk anymore. And according to Jesus, it's that time period that is going to be prevalent on this earth right before the rapture. It's called the great falling away. And here is the thing. The great falling away is not going to be in the world who is kumbaya, but it is going to be in, in these designated places that has a steeple outside on their, on their church roof, who has a sign out in their yard that calls themselves a church. Jesus said that there are going to be these houses that used to be really houses of worship but now has become houses of entertainment and houses of social pleasure and, and uh, politically correctness, Jesus said, listen, you need to be aware that right before I return, there's going to be a great falling away. And it's not going to be just in the global world. In essence, it is going to be in the church right before the rapture. And listen again. Let me say this, you cannot fall away from something unless you have first been close to it. Many churches today, people that have buildings that call themselves churches and put signs out in their lawn saying that we are a church and you can find churches on the internet, a dime a dozen and all of this. But listen very carefully, there are many so-called churches among the world today that are rejecting the absolute clear teachings of the Word of God. And listen, it's not just from a world perspective. It is coming from people who sit in services every Sunday. Churches today all across the globe, they reject the clear teaching of the Bible. You say, preacher, that's hard to believe that somebody would reject the Word of God. Let me just give you a few for instance. There are many churches today and God help a country, God help a nation. And I will say even the Pope has gone as far as to condone abortion. I'm telling you, abortion is against the word of God. Now, I am sympathetic to people who have gone through those unbearable, unimaginable experiences, and they made decisions under pressure or under dire circumstances, and I sympathize with that. I understand that, but I thank God there's a sympathizing Savior. There is a bomb in Gilead. There is a healing for all transgressions. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and move those transgressions as far as the east is from the west and place them in the sea of his forgetfulness and he will remember them no more. Thank God. But abortion is wrong. Churches today are rejecting the clear teaching on morality. And people today in so-called churches are falling away from that. And they are getting to the place where they accept that. Listen carefully. I'm not, I don't hate anybody. I love everybody. The word says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Now, I believe that we ought to be kind and we ought to be respectful and we ought to love people and we ought to have a desire to give the gospel to the world who are lost. I believe in all of that, but listen carefully. You, you say, you got a scripture for that? Yeah, I do. Let me show you one particularly, Matthew 19, 4. Let's not take it out of context. Let, let me just give it to you straight up. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 4. Now, I want you to write this scripture down on your, on your uh, bulletin, and I want you to have it so that you can remember it. This is a this is a curveball. I'm throwing them back there. Let's go, fellas. Matthew 19:4. Let's get that scripture up there. And here's the thing. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? Now read where? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, where's the third option there? Listen. The third option came from something that was clear, that was right, that was pure, that was holy, that was righteous. The third option came from the falling away that the word said would take place before the rapture. While I'm there, let me give you Mark 10, 6. Since they're working really freely back there, let's go for another one real quick. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Now, this is not educational format but I tell you what anybody with a brain can read this God made them male and female and if there's anything else that society has included it did not originate from this Bible it is not God's word now, some churches reject the teaching of the inerrancy of the Scripture. Meaning that the literal things about the Bible are really not true. For example, there are some churches, people with steeples and signs on their property, they no longer preach 
about a literal hell or about a literal devil. But my response to that is this. Listen carefully. If the Bible is lying to us about hell, then how in the world can we believe any of it about heaven? It's one thing to say that this book is wrong. And let me say, if anything about this book is wrong, then how in the world can we believe anything that it says? Do you know that Jesus talked more about hell in the scriptures than he did about heaven? This book is inspired. It is infallible. It is inerrant. That means it is without error. It is absolutely perfect. It is the holy word of God. And many churches today believe in this thing called universalism. Meaning that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. One well-known pastor said this, that he would not define his life or his lifestyle within the four corners of this book. He would not define his life or lifestyle or sexuality within the four corners of this book. He said this, it is time for another testament to be written that is more up to date for the times that we are living in. I'm telling you this, Jesus said, before I come, there's going to be a great falling away. Something that was clear and true and pure and holy. They're going to be falling away from that, believing all of this political insanity, incorrectness. And Jesus said it was going to happen right before the rapture. These are the kind of things that are happening in so-called churches all over the world today. Yet at the same time that this kind of thing is happening, we have to be compassionate. Listen, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. We have to be compassionate to those who err in and deny the faith. We have to be. We have to love them. We have to understand that every human being walking on this earth represents a soul for whom Christ died. So let me be clear. Many do not believe in what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 25, and not just the world, but even many in the so-called churches. But we're clearly living in the day of Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before our very eyes. Jesus said, when I return, only half of professing Christians will really know me. That ought to scare the living daylights out of all of us. That is why we know the truth and we need to stand firm on it. Look with me quickly in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to read for you verse number 12. My time is short. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed against that day. Look again at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12. And because of iniquity shall it bound, the love of many shall wax cold. Jesus is describing the world that we're living in right now. And when the rapture takes place, there will not be one single saved person left on this earth at that time. It will be a completely different world, completely engulfed in sin. Now I've got to get through this quick. Number three, Jesus gave examples 
In Luke 17, verse 26, he talks about the days of Noah. I'm not going to have time to read those scriptures, but let me say this. Jesus compared the time on the earth to the days of Noah, meaning that there was going to be a world full of violence. And I want you to look around. He compared it to the days of Lot. I want you to look around. He compared it to the days of absolute insane perversion. And I want you to look around. And so it's clear as day that there has been a great falling away. Number four, listen carefully. The rapture is going to be selective. In Luke chapter 17, I want you to notice with me verse number 34 through 36. Look at these scriptures very carefully. I tell you in that night there shall be two men in one bed. And by the way, that doesn't mean two homosexuals. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. And you say, well, preacher, that's what it says. It doesn't, it, that's not what it means. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in one field. The one shall be taken and the other left. I don't have time to explain all of that this morning, but the bottom line to this is some wives will go and some husbands will remain. All children under the age of accountability will go. The others will be raptured if they're saved. The others... Others will be left. Number five, quickly. The rapture will take all believers into the air to meet the Lord Jesus. In Luke 17, verse 37, And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said, Look, this is precious. Listen, these disciples were saying, Lord, where are we going to meet you? You've heard the old gospel song. Virginia boys have recorded it. There's going to be a meeting in the air. These disciples were saying, Lord, tell us precisely. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Look, wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Eagles fly in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air, not in space. Paul made that clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Our musicians come forward. And number six, listen carefully. The rapture will be transforming. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I explained this in one of our funerals this week. I don't remember which one now, but he said in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, a few years ago, I did some research on what was a twinkling of an eye. And as best as it could be computed, a twinkling of an eye has been calculated to be a 20th of a second. Now think about this. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Philippians 3, 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things. Let me give it to you quick. Paul said that when Jesus returns in the air, and let me clarify something. There are a couple of aspects of his returning. As I gave you the, the references a moment ago, there's the day of Christ and then there's the day of the Lord. But I want you to understand something that we can trace back a few other steps and places where the Lord has been here. Prior to the rapture, we know that he came in Bethlehem's manger. Prior to Bethlehem's manger, I want you to know that according to the word of God, 
and I believe this, firmly believe this, that he showed up in the priesthood of Melchizedek. I believe in the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't have time to preach on Melchizedek today, but I believe Jesus was here before Bethlehem's manger. And before the order of the priesthood, the pre-incarnate Christ and the, and the priesthood of Melchizedek, you go all the way back to the garden in the beginning. And God said, let us make man in our own image. So the word us is a triune word and it means three. God was saying, let us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit make man in our own image. So I believe with all of my heart that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, walked this earth way before Bethlehem's manger, in the garden, in the priesthood of Melchizedek, in Bethlehem's manger. And then there is the, what I would call, in this aspect, there is going to be two advents of his coming. There is going to be the meeting in the air when he returns. When he returns in the rapture, he will not set his feet on the earth. We will meet the Lord in the air. Now, this is the important thing. In the one twentieth of a second, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul said it this way, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together and meet them in the air. And in this trump of God that sounds. Listen, we're also going to get a changed body, a glorified body, a body that is able to live in the house of the Lord forever. So the dead are awakened and raised. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. In this period of time, there's going to be a glorification where we will receive a glorified body and the scripture says this, we will meet the Lord in the air. But meeting him in the air means this, that whatever he was, we, we will be like him. We shall see him as he is and we shall be like him. So think about it. everything that has to happen in a 20th of a second, in the blink of an eye, in a twinkling of an eye. And then, friend, it will all be over. Next Sunday, will there be a second chance? If you miss the rapture, you won't want to miss next Sunday. My question today is this, are you rapture ready? Are you rapture ready? This is not the day to play church. This is not the day to play games with God. This is the day to get on the firing line, get in the house of God, serve the Lord with all of your heart. Because I will tell you this, this old earth is hanging on by a thread. Don't be like these five foolish virgins. You won't make it. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.